podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to the Two for the Podcast. Today is Thursday, the 30th of September, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or anything you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com. And use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops on Etsy. Just download the Etsy app onto your phone and away you go. Uh, before I forget, and I should do this more regularly, do check out the epilindex.com sh- uh, website. There's always good articles going up from the likes of Jake, Jake Jackman, Stephen Smith, um, Dan, whose surname I forget. He supports Arsenal, though, so he's got a lot of pain and suffering in his life. Uh, so do check those out. Very, very good. I will find Dan's name. Yes, Dan Fitzpatrick. That is it. I knew it was a, a, an Irish name. I just couldn't remember which one. Um there's a really good staff of writers there, so do check that stuff out. There's also the Tad Predictable podcast, the latest one dropped, I think, yesterday. So give that a listen. Mr. Drinkle is on. And there is the EPL Roundtable podcast. They didn't do one last weekend, time constraints, scheduling, but they will be back this Sunday podcast out likely Sunday night or Monday. So do remember to check those out. They're always good. And the, the EPL, EPL Roundtable podcast is great. With Kevin DeVries, can't go wrong. Uh, right, folks. So, um, Champions League last night, and some bizarre stuff went on. Like, there's no other way to describe this other than strange, strange, bizarre stuff. So, we start off with the early games. Atalanta won, Young Boys nil. Atalanta dominated the game, created a lot of chances, but seemed to lack a cutting edge because. Obviously, Papu Gomez left. He had a falling out with the with the manager and took his talents to Sevilla. Josip Ilicic with injuries and aging, and he's not always part of the team anymore. Without him in the team, they and, and, and Gomez, they just don't quite hit the same going forward. Now there's still loads and loads of talent in the team. But I mean, Zaba Costa shouldn't really be in the team. You know, the midfield still functions well. Gosens is great. The back three, Demarell is good. I'm not a fan of Toloi or Jim City. Uh, I do like Musso, the goalkeeper they added. But Zaba Costa, I mean, you've got Joachim Mal sitting on the bench. Get him in. Coop Miners, it's, it's nice to see him getting some run now as well. But the front three, I mean, Malinowski's a good player, but he's better in a midfield too rather than an advanced position. 
I think Pessina is better a bit deeper as well. And Zabata up front just seemed a little bit lonely. Like he didn't have many friends in the world. There was nobody getting close enough to him. Um, they're still very entertaining to watch. They're just not as devastating going forward as they were. But they get the win. They top the group. Um, and they'll be very, very happy. They get United twice next. And those will be interesting games. Zenit St. Petersburg 4, Malmo 0. Um, Claudinho, who starred for Brazil at the Olympics, Kuzyayev, Sotomin, and Wendel with the goals. Uh, lovely to see Dejan Lovren, fully fit, sitting on the bench where he deserves to be. Uh, good win for, for Zenit. Um, and they did punish Malmo, who had a man sent off after 53 minutes, and they got the two late goals to kind of run up the goal difference and set themselves in a decent position in the group where they're level on points with Chelsea. You don't fancy them to finish above Chelsea or Juve in the group, but they should set themselves up well to get that Europa League spot and continue their European adventure this season. Um, this one was just weird. Sevilla, uh, Sevilla won, Wolfsburg won. Now, I don't understand what happened here. Wolfsburg were 1-0 up. Renato Stefan in the 48 minute put them up. It was a pretty good game. It was a fairly even game. Sevilla had most of the ball. Wolfsburg looked dangerous on the counter. Wolfsburg played a very physical style of game. And they had six players booked. But they were playing within the rules. There's no question they were playing within the rules. In the 85th minute... There's a ball bouncing in the Wolfsburg box. Gulavogi clears it. His follow-through clips a Sevilla player on the shin. Now, I mean clips. There's no... It's not a full contact. It's not a flat contract. It's a little clip as his foot moves past the opponent's leg. And the referee gives a penalty. He, he makes full contact with the ball. There's nothing dangerous or out of control about what he does. He just wins the ball and clears it. And the referee awards a penalty and sends him off. Ivan Rakitic steps up and scores. And it's 1-1. Now, over the balance of the game, absolutely Sevilla deserved a draw. There's no doubt. But in, in that way, I'm just not having it. It's a disgraceful decision by the referee, who really should be questioned about this afterwards. Really, really poor from him. He has to do better in that situation. And it wasn't like he gave it and then had no advice. He went and looked at it on the screen and then gave it. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Bayern Munich 5, Dinamo Kiev 0. Two for Lewandowski, Nabry, Sane and um, Chupamoteng. Scoring goals for Bayern in the Champions League will never not be funny to me. Bayern dominant. When you look at that first 11 that started, Neuer and goal, world class. Neuer. Neuer? Yeah, Neuer and goal, uh, world class. Nicolas Sula, right back, you wouldn't really want him there. I don't think you really want him in the team anymore, but you wouldn't want him at right back anyway. Upa Meccano and uh, Lucas Hernandez as the centre backs. Alfonso Davies at left back. That's three great young players. 
Kimmich and Goreska in midfield. Gnabry, Muller and Sané behind Lewandowski. Bar right back, that team is as close to perfect as you'll get. If they could just get a good right back, and they do have Benjamin Pavard, who's a decent player, but he's he's more of a centre-back than a right-back. If they could find a really good right-back, they would have the perfect 11. Great balance throughout the team. Partnerships that complement each other. Devastating outlets in Gnabry, Sané. If the Sané-Davies thing really clicks, best to look to anybody trying to stop those two. And if they could find a right back who could replicate what Davies does, I mean, I still think they should buy Max Ahrens. I I know it's a, a big jump from Norwich to, to Bayern, but Max Ahrens is really, really good going forward. And I think you put him behind Gnabry, I think that it would be lethal as well. Um, anyway, 5-0, Bayern walking through the group. RB Salzburg 2, Lille 1. Kareem Adeyemi just wins penalties everywhere he goes. He won three penalties out of the four. No, three penalties. Yeah, three penalties against Sevilla. They missed two of them. Uh, They won two in this game. And he scored both of them. And he won the first one. The second one was a handball. But absolutely phenomenal. His, his ability to just draw a defender in and then quickly shift the ball away or to spot a defender who's off balance and just attack them, it's just incredible. Big, big win for Salzburg. 2-1. Disappointed for Lille, but not really expecting a whole lot from them this season. They lost their manager. They lost some very important players. Salzburg topped the group. Lille at the foot. And it wouldn't surprise me if Lille stayed at the foot of the group. They just, they don't look anything like the same. Uh, Juventus won Chelsea nil. Tuchel Ball seems to be upsetting Chelsea fans who adored it prior to Saturday morning. Um, Chelsea had 16 shots in the game, one on target, 74% of the possession. But never really threatened and never really looked like they were going to score. Uh, whereas Federico Chiesa looked like he was going to score every time he got the ball. He got the goal on 46 minutes, having tormented Chelsea prior to that. You'd look at the, that Chelsea team and say it's maybe one player short of what Tuchel's best 11 is. Well, you've got Kante, obviously, to come into the midfield, but... Mason Mount for Zayic would be probably the only change he would make um, aside from Kante. I think he sees Aspilicueta ahead of Reese James. I think he sees Alonso ahead of Ben Chilwell. So Kante in rotation with Kovacic and Jorginho, Mount would be ahead of Zayic. But like other than that, it's, it's their best 11. And they were not good. Very, very strong Juve team, other than the fullbacks. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Quadrado, especially not as a winger. Um, and Bernadeschi's not really a false nine, but when you've got Chiesa, Rabio, Bentoncourt, Locatelli, Benucci and Delict at centre-back, it's, it's a very strong team. Um, they're still a work in progress. You'd argue they, 
they bring in Dybala for either Quadrado or Bernadeschi. They still have Kulisewski who can win the team, though he doesn't seem to be in favour with the current manager. They need new fullbacks, and I think they need a new goalkeeper. But Juventus are not the train wreck that some people make them out to be. They're in a financial situation that's not ideal, but there's a lot of good players there. As long as they stop playing the likes of Aaron Ramsey, who just aren't good enough to play for a club like Juventus at this point in their career, they'll be fine. And they should come close to winning, if not win, the Serie A title. And they should progress out of this Champions League group. Uh, Benfica 3, Barcelona 0. This has to surely be the final nail in the coffin for Ronald Koeman. Um, Barca comprehensively outplayed dominated in all phases. They had more of the ball, but they didn't do anything with it. Darwin Nunes scored after three minutes. Rafa Silva made a two after 69. Nunes made a three after 79 from the penalty spot. And Eric Garcia was sent off on 87. And it needs to be said, if Eric Garcia hadn't been born in the city of Barcelona, hadn't spent time in La Masia, he would not be playing for Barcelona right now. The fact that there was a tug of war over him between Manchester City and Barcelona is one of the stranger things that's happened in recent years. He's a talented player, but he does not have anything close to the ability right now to playing for Barcelona in a Champions League match. And every change that Koeman made just seemed to make the team worse yesterday. Like the fact that they're starting Luke de Jong in Champions League matches, like, give me a break. I I just don't. I don't know if he's trying to get sacked. Maybe he's just had enough and he wants to get sacked and get his payoff. But a shambles, an absolute shambles. The final game then, Manchester United 2, Villarreal 1. United were completely outplayed in the first half. If it wasn't for David De Gea, they probably would have been 3-0 down. They just didn't look at the races at all. Uh, Paco Alsalsa made it 1-0 after 43 minutes. Alex Tellez equalised 7 minutes later with a great goal. Really clever free kick from Bruno. Found Tellez in the edge of the box. It's a great first-time hit. Really good goal. Over the course of the game, Villarreal were the better team and deserved the win. But you wouldn't really have argued against the draw as being you know, a, a fair result. United get a late winner, 95th minute. It's a cross from Fred. Cristiano heads down to Lingard. Lingard plays it back to him. Lingard then falls over right in front of the goalkeeper and blocks the goalkeeper's path from being able to, to charge Cristiano. He's clearly offside, and yet the goal is given. It's another really weak shot from Cristiano. It's another goalkeeping error. Keeper gets a full palm on it. Really should keep it out. So we have five goals, five goalkeeping errors since he rejoined United. But this one should have been ruled out for offside. Because this one, Jesse Lingard is obstructing the goalkeeper's ability to charge down the ball. To try and come out and smother the ball. And it wasn't given. Or the offside wasn't, wasn't given. The goal was given. Now, if you're not a Manchester United fan, you're probably happy enough because it means Ollie stays in the job. United fans are thrilled. They were delighted with themselves on social media last night. 
the United Twitter account put out about 3 million tweets uh, about Cristiano as per his contract. And, you know, everybody talked about what a great player he is and ignored the fact he'd been absolutely dreadful for 94 and a half minutes leading up to the goal. Um, they ignored the fact that Paul Pogba once again stank the place out in midfield, that United looked a mess at the back, that Oli is a PE teacher, and that Unai Emery, whose teams are always awful away from home, throughout his career they've been awful away from home, comprehensively outcoached Oli once again, because they got the win. So that's fine. Get the win, celebrate it, absolutely great. You've stuck with Ollie now for another while. So you're going to win nothing. Uh, you know, swings and roundabouts, folks. Swings and roundabouts. Um, it is questions day. I'm going to get a nice early break in here so I can get a good run at these questions because we've got a few good ones. Um, so I'll be back in 30 seconds and we'll jump into those. Right, folks, welcome back. So, uh, we have questions today. So, the first ones I've got are from SportsLens, at NFL under, underscore Seahawks, zero, zero, on Twitter. So, he sent me a few questions, and I do like these ones. Would Marcelo Gallardo be a good replacement for Koeman? Who would be three good replacements for Koeman at Barca? He would be. I think he's a really promising manager who's done really, really well at both stops, at Nacional in Uruguay and now at River Plate, where he has been for seven and a half years at this point. And he's just done very, very well. He won a Uruguayan title in his only season with Nacional. Since joining uh, River Plate, he has won two Copa Libertadores, one Copa Sudamerica, which is the Americana, which is basically the UEFA Cup or the Europa League. Uh, three Recoba Sudamericana, which are the basic European Super Cups. So he's won each of those that he's been in as well. Um, he has done he has done a great job. He's won two Super Copas, a Copa uh, Argentina, three Copa Argentinas. So he, he has done brilliantly. To win three major continental prizes is, is an incredible achievement. And his team play a good style of football. He's, I suppose, pretty flexible in his tactics. He's, he does have a way of playing, but he's very happy to adapt that style against better teams and against bad teams. He'll play a more attack-minded way. But, yeah, I... I think he'd be a good fit. The problem is Barcelona isn't a good fit for him right now because he's still quite a young manager, despite the fact he's been managing for 10 years. He is only 45. Does he really want his first job in Europe to be one that right now looks to be a pretty impossible task? I kind of feel like what Barcelona needs is a manager who can come in and get the best out of very little. Whose style of play isn't necessarily 
reliant on the quality of players who can just make it work with whatever he's handed. And I think the best manager they could go for right now is their former manager, Ernesto Valverde. Now, he wasn't always popular. His style of play wasn't great. But he's the type of manager who does well with whatever he's given. And I feel like if you gave him this Barcelona team, he could at minimum get them top four each year. And to be honest, with the way their finances are, that's kind of what they need to do. They need to just accept that for the next few years, they're not going to be a competitive team in terms of winning the Champions League or La Liga, but that they can get top four, continue to maximize their revenue, not spend ludicrous amounts of money, focus more on bringing through graduates of La Masia, getting the likes of Gavi and Pedri and Ansu Fati as the focal points of your team with you know the added-in qualities of Frankie de Jong and Ter Stegen in goal. You've got Ronald Arreo, you've got Mangueza, you've got good young defenders in those two. Start sculpting a team that can gradually replace the current team while maintaining a top four level. Get your finances into a good situation. So get that debt from £1.2 billion to, say, £200 million. Do that. Your turnover is enough to do that in three, four years. Like, that's that's the thing with this club. They make so much money. They could cut through that debt in a couple of years. And then, when everything's settled back down, you'll still have Pedri, who'll be... Say you do it over a four-year period. Pedri will be 22. Fatty will be 22. Frankie will be 27, maybe. Um, Array will be 25, I think. Maybe 26. Mangueza will be 26. Um, Gavi will be 21. You'll have brought through some more academy players at that point. And you'll probably be able to keep your best academy players as well because you'll be opening up pathways into the first team, which is something you haven't done for the last decade as you chased glory to try and maximize the Messi era. And then at that point, you have a really good team, largely homegrown, or players that have been in your system for three, four years, that are accustomed to the Barcelona way. And then you can go and you can add your big name stars, whoever they may be at the time. A Florian Wirtz, a Jude Bellingham, a whatever. You know, or, or the next generation of them, the kids that are currently 14, 15. You go and you add them. And you build something on foundations, as opposed to the castle built on sand that you've been for the past decade. So I think a Valverde would be perfect. That's what, if I was Gallardo or, or Xavi, I would run a mile. I would say, call me in four years' time when your financial situation is under control. Like, Barca can get top four in Spain without spending huge money. 
the group of players they have now should be good enough to get them top four. They're lacking a, a number nine, obviously, but they do have Aguero on their books. And if they can settle things down with him, he will get them goals. He's certainly better than Luke de Jong. They've got a lot of talent in midfield. They've got enough good defenders to put something together that will work. And they have a top-class goalkeeper. So get them a manager who gets them playing in a way that minimizes their weaknesses and maximizes their strengths. And I think someone like Valverde, Max Allegri would have been a really good fit at that as well. If, see, Pochettino wouldn't take the job because he's got the the Espanyol connection. But if Pochettino were to become available, uh, I think someone like him could could be a good fit at Barca for this purpose, for getting the most out of mediocrity. Uh, Rudy Garcia, not a manager who's going to win any awards for the attractive nature of his football, but did a pretty stellar job at Lille, at Roma, at Marseille, and at Lyon over the years. Does get the most out of average players. Doesn't play an exciting brand of football, but will will get you top four. He will get you top four with Barcelona. Uh, so he'd be second on the list after Valverde. And if I had to go for a third, I, I would have said Van Hal, but he, he took the Dutch job. He's obviously been at Barca multiple times in the past. But he's the type of manager that can can make a lot out of very little. He he tends to struggle when he's got too much at his disposal. When he gets too much backing, when he's required to work with the academy and promote youth and, you know, drain every inch of talent out of a player. I'll, I'll give you those two. I'll give you Valverde and Garcia. Um, I think they'd both be really good fits there. Uh, second part of the question... Would Zidane be a good replacement for Oli or three good replacements for Oli at Manchester United? I actually think Zidane would be the ideal replacement for Oli. Zidane is used to working with Eagles. Zidane has a good relationship with Cristiano. Zidane has a great relationship with Pogba, who idolizes him. And he might actually inspire Pogba to actually care about Manchester United. So wouldn't that be a treat for everybody if Pogba actually cared? I think he, he's got a good relationship with Rafa Varane. He's an inspirational figure. He'll be the best player in training every day. He's still in incredibly good shape. He's still got incredible technique and talent. So he will give players something to aspire to. I think Zidane would actually be a great fit at United. Whether he'd win anything with them or not, I don't know. But he'd make them a lot more competitive than Oli is. He'd certainly play a better brand of football than Oli is. Now, if he went with the 4-3-3 that he largely employed at Real Madrid, I don't think he'd mind Wan-Bissaka because he used Carvial at right back a lot, who's not great going forward. He used Nacho at right back. Now, he did also use Lucas Vasquez, so he might want that alternate option. But maybe Diogo De Lot can be that option. He's quite good going forward. He'd be happy with the left-back situation of Shaw and Tellez. I don't know that he'd love Maguire because he likes to play a high line. 
So it wouldn't surprise me if Maguire found himself having to work harder for his place in the team. Varane would obviously start. I kind of feel like he might prefer Eric Bailly just for that extra pace so they could play a higher line. And Bailly is more similar in style to Ramos. A little bit reckless, positionally not great, but great athlete and has that pace. Midfield, he would definitely want a holding midfielder. That would be the first big need. It's their big need anyway. Bruno's the awkward fit here because I, I think he would like to try and replicate what he had with Modric and Cruz. Now, Pogba, in a way, can replicate some of what both of them do. But if you sit, get Pogba to sit that bit deeper and act as your Tony Cruz, picking the pass and kind of dictating the tempo of the game, kind of like he does for France, and he's very effective at it for France. Bruno maybe play the Modric role. Now, you're going to need a hell of a holding midfielder to pull this off. You're going to need Wilf and Didi, and you're going to need to fill him full of speed or something. But Wilf and Didi at a holding midfield. And up front, I think he'd play Cristiano off the left, even though I think Cristiano needs to play in centre. I think he would play him off the left. I think he'd use Cavani as the nine for his work rate and his movement. I think he'd go Mason Greenwood off the right. Now that leaves Sancho and Rashford out, and Martial, obviously. But um, I think that's kind of what he might might consider. But they definitely need that holding midfielder. And the midfield balance would still be off. So maybe you'd look to move on. You'd look to move on Pogba, but Bruno's the more awkward fit. Um, I do think Zidane would be a great fit at, at United to replace Oli. He took over Real Madrid at a time when people thought they were about to have a decline and he went and won three Champions Leagues. So, you know, he's, he's proven he can do great things. He retired, he resigned, came back and won a league title. Um, Zizou is, is actually a very, very good manager who may actually be a great manager. He may actually be a great manager. He's won three Champions Leagues. There's very few managers that can say that. I think he's the only one who's won three in a row. The only one who won three European Cups in a row. So, you know, that's that's very, very special. Um, as for others, I suppose the thing with United is you're looking for managers who play attacking football because that's kind of what the fabric of the club demands. But they also play... The tradition of United is a very simplified game, a 4-4-2, with basically a 5-5. Five and five. You get a back four, one holding midfielder, three attacking midfielders, and two strikers. Scholes was the more attacking central midfielder, and obviously you had Beckham and Giggs out wide, you two up front, and those five were basically a front five. The fullbacks would overlap, but when they overlapped, the wingers would drop a little bit, and maintain a defensive structure. United played a really simple game. They were just absolutely brilliant at it. There was no great tactical wizardry to what Ferguson did. He just prepared his teams better than everybody else. And he often had, obviously, better players than everybody else. So he was able to make it work. So other managers who could take that job 
Nagelsmann would have been interesting. Nagelsmann would have been really interesting. That squad is is a little bit awkward for traditional setup, shape, style. But Nagelsmann tends to make the most of what he gets and sculpt structure and style and, and shape based on the pieces available. So maybe he could have made something out of it. Thomas Tuchel would have been very interesting going there because if you look at Tuchel's career pre-Chelsea, his teams have always played attacking football. Like this idea that Tuchel is some uber-defensive coach is just bizarre. bizarre. You look at him at Dortmund and indeed at PSG and they play great football. This is just what he's done at Chelsea while he doesn't have defenders that he, thr- that he trusts. If you... If you think he's playing a back three because that's what he wants to do, you're fooling yourself. He's playing a back three because they don't have the defenders to play a back four. They don't have two centre-backs that can play in a back four. Rudiger's awful in a four. Silva can't play in a four anymore. And nobody knows that better than Tuchel, who got stung with him at PSG. Aspilicueta can't play in a back four anymore. Alonso can't play in a back four. Chilwell defensively is a liability in a four. Reese James defensively is not good enough in a four. Um, Christensen is good enough, but he's not. Andreas Christensen in a back four plays for a club like West Ham to make West Ham leads. Um, Wolves, whoever else is in that kind of mid-table group. That's his level in a back four. In a back three, he can play at a higher level. So that they don't have the individual defenders to play a back four. It's part of why he tried to buy Jules Koundé in the summer. But this style of football is not the long-term plan for Tuchel. This style of football is what he has to do right now to get the most out of the squad he took over. Um, so Tuchel would have been interested, interesting at United. And Gasparini's the other one because he, he plays such great football. He doesn't necessarily always worry about what his defence looks like. But if you consider his 3-4-3 or 3-4-1-2 as he often uses, you, they have the goalkeeper, De Gea, a back three. I, I think... Luke Shaw on the left of a back three, Maguire in the middle, Varane on the right of it, is something to consider. Now, they'd need a right wing back because you don't want Wan-Bissaka there, but Alex Tellers at left wing back. He would make it work with McFred in midfield, but obviously United do need to upgrade there. But you could go in a four in front of a three. I think you'd get away with Pogba. So you go Pogba plus one, Bruno is the 10, and then whatever you want up front. Greenwood and Rashford, uh, Greenwood and Ronaldo, Greenwood and Cavani, Rashford and Cavani, Rashford and Ronaldo, Martial and whoever, whatever you want, whatever two. He's also flexible enough that he will play, you know, a front three, so you can get games for Sancho, you can get games for Ahmed Diallo when he's ready, uh, you can get games for Shortire when he's ready. You can play 
Rashford, Greenwood and Martial in the three if you need to. You could play Sancho, Greenwood and, and Rashford in what could be a very exciting front three, uh, especially from an England point of view. So I, I think Gasparini could be interesting. But again, he's whoever takes over, they're going to need players. Like, if you look at that United team, De Gea is back in form, so he's back in favour. But can this form be trusted? There's still question marks over the goalkeeper. You've got big question marks at right back. Juan Basaka is an average defender. He's great at one thing, and he's poor going forward. You've got a good left back in Shaw. You've got a very good centre back in Varane. But then you've got big question marks, marks over Maguire, who can't play in a high line because he gets exposed because he's got no pace. And if you saw against Villa, when United did push into a high line, he hauled down John McGinnon halfway and should have probably been sent off. So you've got a question mark there. You definitely need a new right back. You might need a second centre back. And you paid £80 million for that guy. Um, you've got massive question marks in midfield. If you're going to play 4-2-3-1, you need two new central midfielders. So there's three starters straight away. That you need. And maybe a goalkeeper. Now you're fine. You're fine for the front four positions. If you make it as simple as Greenwood. And Diallo on the right. Sancho and Rashford on the left. Cristiano. Cavani and Martial as your nines. Bruno and Donny van de Beek as your tens. If, if you make it as simple as that. They've got at least two. Really good options, like really good options in every part of the the front four. But you need two starting central midfielders. And that's why you should have sold Paul Pogba this past summer and looked to bring in at least one. So any manager taking over there is going to have to buy, even in the 4-2-3-1, is going to have to get three new starters in. There will, of course, be games where you can play Wan-Bissaka, where you want to play Wan-Bissaka. There'll be games where you play McTominay or Fred or both. Cup games for both. Uh, but you'll want to bring... You might you might leave out a front three player and bring in McTominay or Fred for a certain game. They'll be fine as backups. Matic is a fine fifth centre midfielder when you play a midfield two. But you need number one and two. You need the starters. And like I say, you, you may need another option at centre-back because there's going to be games where you just can't play Maguire. And you can't really rely on Eric Bailly because he's always injured. I think Lindelof as a third centre-back is a good option. You've got the two good options at left-back, Shaw and Tellez. If De Gea's form holds, then De Gea and Henderson is a strong goalkeeping situation. Dean Henderson's the best backup goalkeeper in the league. But can it hold? Whoever takes over there has has a lot to look into and a, a lot of decisions to make. Uh, it won't be simple for them at all. Um, there is another question from um, Sports Lens. How would you go about fixing Spurs? So I think I've been over that this week. Um, can this performance result spark a renaissance in Arsenal? Potentially, yes. Now, they've lost Xhaka for three or four months with an injury. But if Lekonga, who they bought in the summer, can settle into the midfield alongside Thomas Partey, 
the front four can remain the same. You've got good depth in the front four with a, with Lacazette and Ketia and Balogun up front. Um, you've got Pepe and Martinelli as wide options. Uh, Smith Rowe can also play in the number 10 position. Yeah, it can. It can, but that defence is still questionable. And Arteta needs to hold his nerve. Because too often when things have gone against him, he has changed tact very, very quickly. And often to the negative effect of his team. Uh, Okay, so moving on. YNWA Foodie. From this weekend's Premier League fixtures, I would like you to pick a starting eleven from this weekend's subs bench. You cannot choose any players from the subs bench from Liverpool, United, Chelsea or City. You cannot pick more than two players from the same team. Right, so I suppose I'll use the games just gone uh, to do this. Give me one sec. Premier League fixtures. And the piece of paper ready. Okay, um, we'll start with, so we can't use Chelsea or City, and we can't use United. So let's look at Aston Villa's bench in this game. Emi Buendia. I'm going to use Emi Buendia. Uh, And I don't want anyone else off that Villa bench. Leicester versus Burnley. So, on the Leicester bench, I have James Madison. I also have Johnny Evans, who I consider. I can use two. I might use Evans. Um, From the Burnley bench, I do like Nathan Collins, but I'll try and hold off. And maybe find someone a little bit better than him. Uh, I'm taking Mason Holgate off the Everton bench. And I'll take Billy Gilmore off the Norwich bench. Leeds against West Ham. The Leeds bench, Jack Harrison, I do quite like. I might even use him at left back. And I'm going to take Issa Diop off the West Ham bench. And maybe Nikola Vlasic. Okay, Watford against the Toon. I might come back to that one. Those are some ugly-looking benches. Uh, Brentford's bench, then. I might leave that one for now. Southampton against Wolves. Ruben Neves is a no-brainer. That'll do for there. 
So you didn't mention Arsenal and Tottenham as clubs I couldn't take players from. So I'm definitely taking uh, Christian Romero. And I'm going to take Gabriel Martinelli from Arsenal. So all I need now is a goalkeeper. I could take Tariq Lamptey, but I don't really need him. So at the moment, what I've got is I've got Martinelli up front. I've got Vlasic. I've got Buendia on the right, Vlasic on the left, Madison as my 10. I've got Gilmore and Neves as my central midfield. I've got Holgate, Diop, Romero, and Jack Harrison as my back four. Um, goalkeepers, I could take Jack Butland. Not great. Fraser Forster, he's probably the best option thus far. Although he's not actually, is he? Because on the West Ham bench, because I can have. Oh, I have to put someone back. I'll put Vlasic back and I'll take. I'll take um, Ariola in goal. So let me just find a replacement right winger. If I go and look at the Wolves against Adama Traore was on the bench. So I'll just take him because he's fun. And Mason Holgate's the ideal right back to play behind him. So I've got Ariola in goal, Diop and Romero at centre-back, Holgate and Harrison as my full-backs, Gilmore and Neves in midfield, Adama... On the right, Buendia off the left, which works well with Harrison as an overlapper as well. Uh, Madison as my 10, and Gabriel Martinelli as my 9. And I'm quite happy with that. So I hope that answers that one. I meant to get to that one last week. In fairness, he actually asked that last week, and I completely forgot. So that's that one. Um, okay, right. Uh, let me see. Flatsy says Carlos Valderrama was my loud. Loved Carlos Valderrama. Absolutely loved him. What a player. What an absolute player. Uh, WGM Lund. Top five midfield partnerships, CB partnerships and strike partnerships of all time or what you've seen. I'll leave that up to you. Okay. Um, Centre-back partnerships. Let's start with the best of all time. You've got Costa Curta and Baresi. For Italy, you had Nesta and Cannavaro which was sensational. For Parma and then Juve, you had Turan and Cannavaro. Currently, well, not currently, but for many years, we've had Benucci and Cialini. And I 
The German... Now, this is a trio because one of them is a sweeper. So I'm going to pick this. I'm going to pick Jan Koller. Matthias Zammer is the sweeper. And Thomas Helmer as a trio. If you just want a, a pairing, a two, I'd go... Be very tempted to go Desai and Blanc. So great together. I'll go Kuman, Ronald Kuman, and Nadal at Barca back in the the early nineties. Um, What years did they just get the exact years? Um, so Nadal arrived in 91. He also played in midfield a bit, but he was largely a centre-back for them. And Koeman was there. So they had about four years in the same team. And they won league titles in three of them. So... I'll I'll go with that. Um, yeah, I think I'll go with that. Um, yeah, I'll go with Kuman and Nadal. I think I think that they were really good. They they suited each other very very well. Kuman was more of a sweeper. Nadal was more the aggressor. I'll go with those two. Um, midfield partnerships. Uh, Keenan Scholes will always be on this list. I love the Albertini Desai pairing that uh, Capello put together. Redondo and Laudrup has always been a favourite of mine. It's one of the first teams I ever truly loved was that Real Madrid team with those two midfields. Dieter Reltz and Thomas Hassler from the same German team that had the, uh, the the back three I mentioned. They were brilliant. It's hard to pick twos when there's been a lot of great threes. A great three was Essie and McAuley and Lampard. They were brilliant together. There's this... The skill sets just overlap perfectly. You also had Seydorf, Pirlo, Gattuso. Pirlo, Vidal, Marquisio. I'm going to put that one in because I loved it. So I loved watching that. That Juve team. I know it's a three and not a two, but you're going to have to give me a bit of leeway on that one. That was such a fun team. And they had Paul Pogba as their fourth option who could fill in. Uh, that was 
that was a sensational midfield under Antonio Conte. And in terms of strike partnerships, Bebeto and Romario is one of the first ones that I thought was just ridiculous. Um, they were they were just so so good together. Um, Beardsley and Rush might be a bit biased, but I think Beardsley and Rush. Now I'm not going to pick. I could pick Keegan and Rush. Sorry, Dalglish and Rush, but it's before my time, so I'm I'm going to leave that one where it is. Um, I'll go Hullet and Van Basten. Do you know? I've got another contender for my defensive list. The 95 Champions League final. Rijkaard and Blind played together. Both of them had been midfielders earlier in the career in their careers and were playing as central defenders. Blind as the sweeper, Rijkaard as the stopper type. They're two of the best holding midfield players of all time. They were brilliant together. They were so intelligent, even though at that point both of them were well past their best, both of them had seen better days. Rijkaard was 33, Blind was 34. But just like with Chiellini and Benucci at the Euros, they're past the best, but they're still more than intelligent enough to just be better than everybody else. So I'll just add them to a short list. There's a lot of great centre-back pairings. Uh, right, Harden, Blind. Um, Hullet van Basten, Beardsley Rush, Bebeto Romario... The United front three that won them the double in 08, but not the one you're thinking of. The better front three, in my view, the more unstoppable front three, was Tevez, Berbatov, and Ronaldo, with Rooney as the one coming off the bench. Um, and, of course, you have to go with maybe the best front three ever put together Messi Suarez and Neymar because let's be fair they were three of the top five players in the world at the time they had another one of the top ten players maybe two of the top ten players in the world in Busquets and Iniesta in midfield that Barcelona team was disgusting so that's what I'll go with for there Bebeto Romario Beardsley Rush Hullet van Basten Tevez, Berbatov, Ronaldo, Messi, Suarez. You could go Viali and Mancini from Sampdoria, which was great. You could go Viali, Ravanelli and Del Piero from Juve, which were sensational as well. Shevchenko, Crespo were great together. There's a few different ways you could go with it. But I think that's the five I'd go with. The midfield five I'm happy with. Keane Scholes, Albertini Desai, Redondo Laudrup, Elson Hassler, Vidal Pirlo Marquisio. I mean, centre-backs, you could also go Lawrence and Hansen. 
from the Liverpool teams. You go Bruce and Pallister. Individually, Pallister, elite, Bruce, less so, but together they were brilliant. Adams and Bold, Adams and Keown, Campbell and Keown. Campbell and Keown. Yeah, Campbell and Keown is deserving of a mention here. Uh, Keown Campbell. Another great one, obviously, Ricardo Carvalho and John Terry. Vidic and Ferdinand, though Vidic clearly the better of the two, and Rio Ferdinand somehow rated as the greatest centre-back that's ever lived. Um, Carvalho and Pepe for a long time for, for Portugal was a very interesting partnership. Nesta Maldini, when Maldini got older. Stam and Nesta, they were great together. Ronnie Janssen and Yap Stam were brilliant for United as well. Janssen just had great pace. He wasn't a particularly great player, but his pace and then everything about Yap Stam was just phenomenal. But yeah, I'm happy enough with those. So I'll stick with those. I hope that answers that one. Um, okay, the Langster. As we enter the latter stages of Messi's career, how long do you, do you think it will be before we see someone emerge as the next figure who is unquestionably the best in the world and will be for this for a significant amount of time? I personally don't see Mbappe or Haaland as suitable for this throne. Will we see a young star of Messi level talent in the next decade? And what part of the world do you predict them to come from? Thanks as always. Right. I will say no, I don't think we see them come in the next decade. I think the last time we saw someone like Messi, who was just clearly the best talent of their generation and the best player in the world, was Diego Maradona. And you're going back to the late 70s, early 80s for his emergence. So if you consider that Messi's emergence was the mid to late 2000s, you're nearly 30 years later. So I don't think it will be any time soon. I think we get one of these players every so often. But I don't think they're a regular occurrence. Um, if I was to say where they come from, I mean, Argentina would seem a safe bet, given the last two came from there. But based on how football is trending, I think we will see an African player who becomes widely regarded as the greatest player of their generation. The only time we've had an African player be the best player in the world for a two-year span, or even maybe a year span, was George Weah. Uh, you can definitely argue that Salah is, is the best right now, but I think it's an argument. With Weah, there wasn't really an argument. As... Baggio sort of dipped, and before Ronaldo exploded, Weah was the guy who filled those little that little spell in between. Maybe it was like 18 months between Baggio's injury, injury calls the decline, missing the penalty kick in the, the World Cup final. Between that and Ronaldo was Weah. So it goes from Maradona, Laudrup, Baggio, Weah, Ronaldo, Zidane, 
Ronaldinho, Kaká, Messi, and it's been Messi now for since '09, basically. Way is the only one that's in that conversation ever. I mean, Eusebio, African-born, obviously, but was never really regarded as the best player in the world because you had Pele, you had Best, uh, you then have Beckenberg, you have Cruyff. So, I would say Cruyff, Platini, Maradona, probably the way it went then. Uh, anyway, I would say African. I think we're going to see an African player. There's just so much talent coming out of Africa now. They're finally... I mean, people have always talked about Africa as having all these incredible natural resources in terms of oil, gas, diamonds, etc. But they also have incredible natural resources in terms of footballing talent and basketball talent. And finally, we're starting to see more pathways, more opportunities. Organizations like Right to Dream are just fantastic. And I think we will see an African. When you look at the talent, look at look at someone like Sulemana at at Ren. You know, I see what he's doing. Look at you know, look at what Mane and Salah have been able to do over the last few years. I, I think it's going to get better and better. There'll be more and more. You look around Eastern Europe, Central Europe, and there's just loads of African players dotted here, there, and everywhere. And I really do think that the more players that come out, the more money that's invested into African football at grassroots level, will just see such a rise in the volume of players, the caliber of players, which are already very high. I do think he may well come from Africa, but the smart money is probably in Argentina. Um, AMK2889. Throughout Messi and Cristiano's careers, they were looked at as rivals. Do you think Mbappe and Haaland could form that type of rivalry? Or do you think that's something youngsters can and will, maybe Bellingham and Pedri or someone else? It's hard because they're not... Footballers don't really have the same kind of mentality as they did even 15 years ago. They're a lot more friendly. There's a lot more of a brotherhood or something around them. Uh, in terms of Haaland and Mbappe, I actually do think there could be a rivalry there because I think there's enough ego with Haaland that maybe he can drive that that rivalry and Mbappe. Like you talk of the rivalry, Ronaldo's the Cristiano's the only one that ever really talked it up. Messi always talked it down. Uh, it's a media invention that Cristiano has fed. And I, I could see it being the same with, with Haaland, especially him being repped by, by Mino. Now, if they both end up at Madrid, that could be fascinating, especially if there is any kind of personality clash. Now, Haaland looks like he's he's definitely egotistical, but he seems like a nice kid. But he's got people around him that fill his head full of stuff and really drive the money aspect of things. So... I could see a rivalry developing and maybe they spend some years at Madrid and it, it kind of blows up. They go their separate ways and then it, it becomes more heated. But I don't think, like, even with... The better rivalries tend to be generational. Like, the mess, the, the Maradona-Pele rivalry, they didn't play at the same time. They never played against each other, obviously. That rivalry, though, there was a real... 
bitterness between them. Now, Messi won't be bitter, but I'd love to see Cristiano become a bitter old man and start slagging off all the younger players the way Pele did for a long time. Um, I, I I think they'll hype it as a, as a rivalry the way Cristiano and Messi w- was hyped. But I also think there's a, the, there's a far smaller gulf. Like, the gulf between Ronaldo, Cristiano and the rest is not not nearly as big as has been made out. And in fact, there's been, I think there's been better players over his era than him, not just Lionel Messi. I would much rather have Andreas Iniesta in my team than Cristiano. Like, you know, that that to me has always been a bit of a nonsense. But the gap from Messi to the rest is has been massive. The gap from Messi to Cristiano is, is substantial. It is, it's substantial. Cristiano's a great goal scorer. He was never a player on Messi's level. Uh, I, I think the gap between Mbappe and Nate and Haaland and, and the rest is will be even smaller um, than kind of Cristiano to the rest. Take Messi out, compare Cristiano against his peers, your Lewandowski's, your Suarez's. It's not a big gap at all. It really isn't. Uh, he's just got, you know, more of a popularity thing because of the clubs he played for. But... I don't think we'll see that because I think there'll be five or six or seven or eight players that get held up. You mentioned Pedri. Ansu Fati is one um, that I think will be very, very firmly in that mix. Florian Wirtz will be in that mix. Uh, Musiala, I think, could develop into that mix. I, I Mason Greenwood, for me, is a, such a spe- special talent at 19 that he could end up in there. Um, Kamavinga, obviously... Gravenberch potentially. There's just so many elite young talents that I, I think I don't think the gulf between them will be as big as as the Messi to the rest has been on the pitch or the Cristiano to the rest has been in the minds of media morons. Um right, AMK has a second question. You've talked about kits before, but are kits something you get excited about? Do you see? Do you like seeing brands like the Jordan brand, Under Armour, New Balance, Imperio Arman, just to name a few, trying to make their mark? And and do you feel Nike, Adidas, and Puma steal the show? So the show sometimes. Leagues like MLS are fully endorsed by Adidas. What are your thoughts on that? Do you wish that brands like Reebok, Re, Reebok, Reebok, uh, feel and whatnot would come back? Finally, how many kits would you say you own, and what are some of your prized possessions? Um. I don't actually own many kits anymore. I used to. I used to have quite a few. I was never one really for wearing football jerseys. I always preferred to wear rugby jerseys, just more comfortable. And, uh, you know, it just is what it is. But um, prized possessions in terms of memorabilia, there's a few autographs and autograph books and stuff that I have that are quite special. Um, there's a couple of things I have that I, I'm not going to mention that work quite a bit but they're just bits and pieces that you collect over the years or that you know you buy thinking it won't mean much and it suddenly becomes valuable for whatever reason um in terms of kids i probably own i probably only have in the house seven or eight maybe some of them are quite old um my favorite one is I don't actually know. It's not something I really put me thought into. That's a good question. Um, 
I've got an old Inter Milan shirt that I'm quite quite fond of. That's probably the one that I would, would say. It's not a prized possession, but it's probably the one that would mean the most to me in terms of sentiment, sentimental value. Um, as for the rest of the question, uh, I would love to see brands like Reebok and Fila come back. I would love to see more companies like Under Armour, New Balance, Imperial Armand get involved in the market because I think I think Adidas, Puma and Nike are very lazy with their designs. I think they're very, very lazy with their designs. They're just templates. Adidas, to their credit, Arsenal's kits are class. This season and the one two seasons ago, amazing. Last season, not, not a fan. But the one two seasons ago was sensational. This season's is really nice. It's gone back to that traditional look. But again, all they've done is gone back to a traditional look. It's not like they've innovated anything. I don't like this season's Liverpool kit. Don't like the Tottenham kit. All the City kits are boring and bland and that. No, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, no, I, I don't like the, the, the big three kit manufacturers at all. I preferred when Liverpool were with New Balance. I, I thought the the design was a bit more ambitious. Um, I, I love Jordan brand being involved in anything. Um, and I think it's really good to see companies like Imperio Armand getting involved with a club like Napoli as well. So, yeah, I want to see more. Our kids something to get excited about. Not so much. Sometimes you'll see something you go, oh, that is really nice. But it, it's not even the kit itself. It's the logo or something that links to the past, like this Arsenal kit. Links back to that early 90s Arsenal kit. And you can picture the likes of David Rowcastle wearing it. You know, so that's... That's where that comes from. Um, no, it's yeah, so no uh, kits don't really excite me other than the odd time there's a, a throwback, like or or they upset me when I see that Inter Milan have changed sponsor. Now their shirt just doesn't look the same. They've changed the logo and it just looks garbage. Juve did similar. The 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 the, the logos matter more to me. I, you, you probably heard the Watford rant. Anyway. Um, I'll come. So the guys just told me that the England squad has been announced. So let's pull that up quickly and have a quick look. Uh, Gareth Southgate has named a 23-man squad. Get EnglandFootball.com up. We'll accept the cookies. Goalkeepers: Sam Johnston, Jordan Pickford. And Aaron Ramsdale. That's an ugly group. That's an ugly group of goalkeepers. Defenders. Connor Cody having a dreadful season. Reese James can't get in the team at Chelsea. Tyron Mings having a dreadful season. Luke Shaw's injured. John Stones can't get in the team at City. Tamori's having a really good season from a lance of fair play. Trippier's been okay for Atleti and Walker starting the season quite well. So th that's fine. That's fine. But Mings. Stones and Cody, no business in the squad. That's the case most just most times. Although Stones a good season last year. Uh, midfield, Foden, Henderson, Foden not not getting a start for City. Henderson in dreadful form. Lingard can't get in the United team. Mason Mount's injured. Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. Brilliant. Jack Grealish in bad form. Harry Kane a disgrace. 
Bakayo Saka, fair. Sancho in the worst form of his career. Sterling left out of big games for City. And Ollie Watkins called up. So, Bellingham has been rested. Which I assume is why Jesse Lingard is in the squad. How is that the best thing Lincoln can do? How is that the best thing Lincoln can do? Like, how is it that Sancho... like, and, and I was an advocate for Sancho being in the England squad, but he's playing dreadfully for United. Southgate just continues. Greenwood's rested as well. Um, but Southgate's just... The man is a fool. Um, Isaac Gilding, speaking to a friend of mine recently who's not a Liverpool fan, and he was saying he always preferred Mane to Salah. He claims to watch a good amount of Liverpool, but this didn't stop me. Julie putting him in place. He's so, so clearly wrong. On further questioning, he realised he didn't really know why he thought this, but he'd always liked the look of Mane when playing the game. Is it fair to say that Mane is more elegant than Mo and perhaps a more natural-looking dribbler? It got me thinking about how we judge players and was wondering what you think about this. Yeah, th- this is a great point. Do players who don't look natural get fairly judged? If Mo looked like Grealish or Mares when he dribbled, you think he'd be rated even higher. So the aesthetics of a player often do factor in, but it works both ways. You'll often get a player who's just so naturally gifted that the game looks like it comes really easy to them. And they will be disparaged as lazy and not putting in the effort. And yes, you'll get players like Mo who takes those short, choppy steps. Doesn't look as athletically pleasing as, say, Sadio, who looks incredibly athletic and explosive in his movements. Um, Like, I remember, rugby-wise, Jason Robinson was just the most explosive player I've ever seen. But Christian Cullen was a much smoother runner than him. And I would have said they were about the same level of talent, performance across their careers. But Christian Cullen's far more highly regarded in the global game because he looked a lot smoother. Um, I, I do think a lot of that's the same thing. I also think there's, there's some bad perceptions out there about Salah. Because of what happened to Chelsea, because there's some media narrative that he's a diver, there's just some sort of dislike towards Salah that's a little bit weird. Uh, and uh, like you say, I do think the aesthetics plays into it for sure. I absolutely do think the aesthetics plays in. If if Mo looked like Grealish, and I mean looked like Grealish, he would be regarded as a top three player in the world by everybody in the UK. If he had that skin tone, that hair, he would be regarded as a top three player in the world. Whether he was or not, that's what they'd hype him to be. Um. Dell, if you're in charge of Liverpool transfers and can realistically bring in two players in January to bolster our team, who would they be and why? Um, Ivan Tony and Ola Aina. You need we need a better right back cover for Trent, and I'd like to see another option up front. I think there's obviously a need for a midfielder, but I'm not going to get into that debate anymore. Um, Owen Hurley, I think Kane might try and force his way out again in Jan. And if I was Spurs, I'd ask for Sterling as part of the deal. So would I. But say you get 100 million cash. Do you use it to get a defender and say a Calvert-Lewin or a Tony? Or do you hold tough till the summer and start from back? I'd, I'd wait till the summer. 
I think in January you're going to reek of desperation and teams will, will hammer you on the price. I think in the summer, you it gives you six months to properly plan what you're going to do and get all your ducks in a row, get your list of, of priority targets and know that you can just go out and say you've got four defenders that you love and you're happy whichever one you get, go for all four and then figure it out. If you can get to the advanced negotiation stage, then you figure out which one you really want. Um, Rick M, who are your top five players who hated losing more than they loved winning? Roy Keane, Graham Souness, Carlos Puyol, Fernando Hierro, and Lothar Mateus. I would say those five. The wins were great, but the losses lived with them. So they, they would win and move on. Look for the next win. The loss would have a hang around. So I, I would go those five. Uh, James, if you had to make a 20-man squad with the rule you can only take one player from each Premier League club, what would your team be? Uh, and I think this is the last question. So let's get this one done. Premier League table. We'll work from the top down. Nice, nice new piece of paper to write on. I bought these little cards to write on. And uh, somehow they keep disappearing. Um, right. Starting with Liverpool, I'm going to take Virgil van Dijk. He is unquestionably the best centre-back in the league. So I'll build my team from there. Manchester City, the one you would want is KDB. Chelsea. I think I'll take Lukaku. No, I won't take Lukaku. Well, I I'll 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 take Lukaku and maybe come back to it. Um, Manchester United. Hmm. I'll take Luke Shaw. Everton. I'll take Alan as my holding midfielder. And Brighton, I'm going to take Eve Basuma to play with him. So my midfield three will be De Bruyne, Alan, and Basuma. Um, West Ham. Nobody that I'd be desperate to have. It's a good team, not a great team. I'll take Declan Rice, but I'm not sure he'll be starting. Aston Villa, give me Emmy Martinez to fill my goalkeeping spot. Brentford. Has to be has to be Ivan Tony. But I've got Lukaku. I'll come back to Brentford. I'll come back to Brentford. Arsenal. 
Give me Tomiyasu at right back. No, actually, don't. Give me Bikayo Saka. And I'll play him on the left of my front three. Uh, Tottenham, I'm going to take Sun, and I'm going to play him on the right of my front three. No, I'm not. I'm going to take Romero, and I'm going to play him next to Virgil. Um, Watford, I'll take Ishmael Asar for the bench. Leicester, I'm going to take Harvey Barnes, and he's on the right of my front three. Um, Wolves, take Semedo, play him right back. He would be probably the best option. No, I've got Mac. I'll go Max Ahrens at right back from Norwich. Um, from Burnley, we'll take McNeil. From Leeds, me Calvin Phillip. No, give me Rafinha. Ooh, actually, yeah, I'll just take him on the bench. Um. Newcastle. Newcastle, I will take. I'll take Dubravka as a backup goalkeeper. Southampton. I'll take Bednarak as a backup centre back. Crystal Palace. It's, I'll take Wilf. And that leaves me with Brentford. So I'll take um I'll take Rico Henry as a backup left back. Is that right? I'm missing somebody. So eleven starters I've got. Who did I not take someone from? I've got Villa, Norwich, Spurs, Liverpool, United, City, Everton, Brighton, Chelsea, Leicester, Arsenal, Newcastle. Oh, Wolves. I didn't take anyone from Wolves. Um, I've got a backup goalkeeper. I've got a pair of backup wingers. I've got three back, two backup midfielders in Rice and McNeil. I need a backup number nine. Do you know what I'll actually do? From Wolves, I'll take Rayan Nuri, and that lets me take Ivan Tony from Brentford as my backup nine. So I've got Martinez in goal, Aaron's Romero, Virgil and Shaw as my um, starting defence. De Bruyne, Alan and Basuma as my starting midfield. Harvey Barnes, Lukaku and Saka up front. I love the front three and I love the back four. You could, you could make an argument for certain that Declan Rice should start up. 
over Alan. I would have Alan right now. You could make an argument that Dwight McNeil could start over Basuma, and he definitely could. But I'm gonna I'm happy to stick with Basuma. You can definitely make an argument that Rafinha deserves to be in over Barnes or Saka, and I don't mind that at all. Um, but yeah, I've got uh, eight Nuri, Rice, Sar, McNeil, Rafinha, Dubravka, Bednarak, Zaha, and Tony on the bench. So I've got I've got four backup attackers, two backup defenders, two backup midfielders, and a, a backup goalkeeper. I'm happy with that. I am happy with that. And that will do us for today. Long one today, folks. Thank you, as always, for sending in questions. I do very much appreciate them. Enjoy the rest of your days, and I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.